Uh, tonight we have Casey, a special guest, joining us. Hi, everyone. And Casey, you have a special blog. You said、uh, the lowdown. Could you tell us more about that?、Uh, okay, so it's lowdown on Chinatown, and、uh, I, that's something I started about four years ago. And I just, it, it's just really me going into various Chinatowns and staying there for a period of time, and then doing a write up, but from an insider's perspective. I see. And you said you are your your family's from Hong Kong, right? Yeah, my family is from Hong Kong, but、um, and both sides of my family are from Hong Kong, and they ended up here in San Francisco Chinatown, and that's kind of my home Chinatown. It's funny. I I started when I started this project, the lowdown on Chinatown. I started with DC, and I've gone as far as、um, Singapore and Incheon. Uh, Chinatown. Oh wow! I still have not done my home Chinatown just because it's it's. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I, Wait. So do you have like a goal? Like, do you want to visit like every Chinatown? I do, and I know you guys probably feel this way too. But you know, we we read about we we read food reviews right by critics in the newspaper or online or whatever, and they're always going into Chinatown, and their their critique is like always a little bit off because. They never knew how things were supposed to taste in the first place, right? Or like, if you go on YouTube and you search like Chinatown, San Francisco Chinatown, where to eat, you what I found was like, you know, people who just didn't know Chinese food, and I, I just actually, I just, I just Googled one earlier, and I saw a person dipping、uh, a steamed bun in soy sauce, a chasu bao. Ah, oh no. <laughs> Everywhere we went when we were little, we always ended up in Chinatown, right? After like visiting Disneyland, we would somehow find our way <laughs> to Los Angeles Chinatown, or you know. It, so I've been to very many Chinatowns. I just haven't written about them. I, I kind of want to go back and revisit them as an adult. And Casey, how do people find this、uh, website? Um, it's exact. It's just the name. So it's Lowdown on Chinatown. So it's www. dot lowdown on chinatown. dot com. Escape from Plan A. Hi, welcome to this special episode of Escape from Plan A, and I'm your host Oxford, along here with Teen and Casey, whom you met in the intro earlier. We decided to do a midweek episode because of some very sad events that happened last week.、Um, Anthony Bourdain passed away,、uh, apparently from suicide, and we just wanted to do this episode because, I mean, all of us here right now on this podcast, we were all big fans of him, and. Yeah, his death really affected a lot of people across all spectrums. I can't think of like this is a miracle of modern social media. I cannot think of one bad tweet <laughs> that anyone said about him. Like there were some people calling、yeah. him like selfish、yeah. for committing suicide, but nobody. It, it was just all eulogies. It seemed right. 
Yeah, and, and the way I found out, I just like rolled out of bed in the morning, just like uh, check my phone. I was on Twitter, and somebody had tweeted like sad news about because Kate Spade had just committed suicide just a couple of days before, and sent a tweet like Spade, and then I saw Anne Bourdain, and I was like, what? What the fuck? What? What? What happened to him? And then it was, that's how I found out. How, how did you guys find out? Same. I mean, I uh, you know I saw it. I just I just saw it in the morning thing. I think I saw like in the. Uh, I checked my phone and then there was like someone in, in one of the chats had been saying Anthony Bourdain was this or that. And I was like, he's dead, isn't he? And then I checked the news, Google News, and I was like, yep, dead at 61. And I was like, it, it, I got to say, that was like, it was the probably the only celebrity death I remember that like later in the day at work, I actually was quite sad. Uh, I was I never feel that way about celebrity deaths, like ever. I I really don't feel connected to celebrities at all. But I felt very, it just felt like a real loss that this guy uh, killed himself. So yeah, Casey, how did you find out? Yeah, that's kind of the same as you guys. I was in bed and picked up my phone when I woke up, and then I checked the news and I saw that, and I I kind of didn't believe it initially because I follow him on Instagram. So, you know, I'm very much a Anthony Bourdain fan and I, it would, and he, he's always posting pictures from his shoots and his food and all that. So it was just, I think like two days before that he posted a picture of um, a plate of meat. It was like prime rib and sausage and a bunch of meat. And he wrote like light snack, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's like typical Bourdain and it just didn't, I, I just didn't believe it initially yeah it's the same as you like teen it usually i don't um i don't feel i'm i don't feel one way or the other when i hear about a celebrity passing away but in this case i i kind of went back and thought about it and i you know i kind of wondered why and i think maybe it's because we had so much screen time with him and you know he wasn't just like he wasn't an actor he wasn't playing somebody else but he was just playing himself all the time right so it was almost like we really got to know him and it was like losing a friend yeah it was like a reality show person but who was good so you got to see them just be themselves constantly uh you know almost like 24 7 you had access to to his life but it wasn't someone you hate watched. You watched him because you thought he was funny and interesting and honest, and you wanted to follow his life. Yeah. Anyway, there's, there's some like there's some like kind of like uh, sordid speculation on why he might have committed suicide. Let's not talk about that. Let's just like celebrate his life and because as I said, he was I think one of the few almost universally beloved people in in the country, which is quite an accomplishment. So, when did you guys start becoming fans of him? I mean, Casey, you said your the, that uh, website we mentioned in the intro was inspired by him? Yeah, it, it was definitely inspired by him. And I tried not to sound like him um, in my writings. <laughs> <laughs> but you might, people might catch some of that just because I've been watching him for too long. So When did you first start watching him? You know, okay, so I remember I was in my mid-20s. I kind of heard about No Reservations, but I wasn't that interested until he went to visit Hong Kong. And then I wanted to see what he would do, you know, do with his whole visit and how he would represent my my home. So that was that was the first time that I watched it. And I, I have to say, like up until that time, I was very skeptical of anybody visiting any 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 anybody on cable TV, right? Visiting um, an Asian country and then 
airing their show because it was always it was always like um, I won't name names, but it was always like a travel host who would go somewhere and eat like stinky tofu or something that is disgusting and that or supposedly disgusting and then, you know, making a mockery of it. And then in the end, um, us feeling just a little bit inferior all over again. So I, I kind of watched it skeptically. But then I don't know if you guys watched that episode in No Reservations when he went to Hong Kong. He ate from start to finish of that episode. He he started with clay pot rice, and as soon as he started eating and commenting on the food and how much he loved it, I was captivated throughout the entire show. And so uh, that really did it for me. Yeah, just yesterday, I was just like looking up clips on YouTube, and there's one he did very recently on CNN with Anderson Cooper, and he was making purichige, which is a Korean... Oh, oh the, the, the army stew? Yeah, it's the it's a I saw that, yeah, yeah. yeah with like spam and hot dogs and, and ramen noodles. <laughs> yeah. And then fucking Anderson Cooper, you know, Mr. You know, the blood of the Vanderbilt runs through my veins. He's like, oh, how can you like, I don't want to eat this. What's that smell and all that? And Anthony Bourdain's like, oh, you got to you got to try this. It's so good. And he's got like kimchi in his hands and he's like squeezing it and everything. And I, I think that was representative of what he did, because I mean, a lot of it, I mean, people of color love Anthony Bourdain. Uh, and, and I think Asians too love him. And I think that's a reason why he would just take a food that's very Puritic is very like very like, common food. It's definitely not date food. You don't want to like bring bring a date there. But he brings it to a place like CNN in front of Anderson Cooper, and he's like, "You gotta eat this. It's like, it's like the best thing in the world." Yeah, yeah. Do you do you guys remember like? Um, <clears throat> it, it, it makes me think of like this Dave Chappelle joke where he was talking about why people love Bill Clinton, like why black people love Bill Clinton, and he was just saying how Bill Clinton would kiss ba- black babies with like oh, no yeah, hesitation. Yeah, yeah. He, he uses a certain language that we'd be, we'd get in very deep trouble if we were to yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was just, he, like he just said, like he just had this nature about him. He just dove in, you know? I think that was part of Bourdain's appeal was like, he just didn't hold stuff at arm's length. He, 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 he really seemed to try and like fit the, you know, he would, he would always eat with local people. That was first. And then he didn't, you know, he let the, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to like overanalyze what made him different from other people, but you just got this sense uh, that he was really, really enjoying himself uh, versus, you know, kind of gabbing it up for the cameras or whatever. Yeah. He had this way of just being the perfect guest in that yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. he wouldn't go up there to, you know, show up the local, you know, men and women who do the cooking. He would always be there. And, you know, just be polite and inquisitive and everything like that. And I think that's why a lot of Asians liked him because, you know, because it's very easy for someone like him to go to a place like Vietnam or Hong Kong or or wherever and just be like, I'm the I'm the savior. I'm here to elevate you. I'm here to shed light in the dark corner of your world. Yeah. Yeah. There were two uh, two examples of that. One was I just I was just kind of reviewing some Bourdain videos because I actually haven't watched a lot of Bourdain. And I haven't read a lot of Bourdain. He's just, he's just the guy that was always kind of there uh, as a presence. And I was familiar with him, but I wouldn't have called myself a fan. I didn't realize how much I liked him actually until he, uh, <laughs> until he passed away. And so I was reviewing some videos, and there were like two examples. One is like he goes with um, the guy—I forget his name—but the, the the Japanese chef behind Masa here in New York. He goes with him back to Japan, and this the chef is going to go visit his family, and like. So he meets his whole family at the airport, and he's like a good two feet taller than anyone in that family. No, t- no short jokes, no tall jokes. Like 
I every time I see that, I just, I know this guy's gonna make a joke about you know oh I feel like a giant or oh man like you know like I feel so clumsy I'm so tall like he's gonna mention something about the height difference didn't even like none no mention of that so that was one and then two was he go he goes to I think he was in Malaysia and he was like he was completely jet lagged and he was like you know here's how I treat jet lag I go out to the street market I get some noodles or whatever and they serve him the food and he's like oh yeah chocolate chow bitches and he's eating and then he points at the at the uh at the door of the restaurant and there's this really like there's a sort of a demented mickey mouse that is the is the is the mascot for this restaurant and he was like you know a restaurant isn't good unless it has some you know some knockoff character or whatever that's how you know it's good like he didn't make fun of the fact that this was some backwards country where you know haha i caught them ripping off mickey mouse or what like there just isn't that condescension there you know it was like yeah it's a fake mickey mouse it's how you know this place is good yeah there were like no gotcha moments and i i see that a lot with like food critics sometimes they go in and you know when they're chefs themselves they go in and they want to establish their authority by by just being critical and i i don't yeah. I, I don't think i ever saw that from him yeah i don't think that was his job yeah Another reason I love Bourdain is he hated Midnight in Paris. Let me just read what he said. It's everything bad about Woody Allen. It panders to a tiny, tiny minority. It has characters that don't exist in real life, speaking dialogue like no one else has ever spoken except in a Woody Allen film. It looked good, and I guess the little history, literature, and art 101 was impressive to somebody. If the word elitist didn't exist before, now it would. I hated everything about it. <laughs> uh, See, Asher, that's also can, something Asher, curious. Can I, can I, can I, can I admit something? You I actually like really like that. I actually really like that movie when I watched oh, it. Oh, Jesus Christ. I Jesus feel Christ. bad All about right. it. No, it was a long you're, time you're, ago, though. I, I quit plan A. <laughs> it's like, this is over. <laughs> I, I walked away feeling like that was a fun movie. I don't know. I get, okay. I get it. And I feel bad, though. I feel guilty. No, never mind. Like no. You're the exception. You're the exception. <laughs> but I think that brings up an interesting point because yeah. Bourdain, in many ways, is a snob. I mean, he is in one of the episodes. He says his favorite food is is bone marrow, roasted bone marrow, and he is hanging out with like Eric Repair and going around Paris eating like awful meat and things like that. Yet, on the other hand, you know, people saw him as very genuine, like a man of the people type. It's it, it's just an incredibly hard balance to strike, which is why nobody could do it really, or very few can, and and somehow he did it. Uh, I mean, you got to remember, like, I, I like I don't like Bourdain style guys that much, you know, like the old New York City punk rocker type. And they're usually so full of themselves. They usually think everyone sucks and <laughs> they've got the secret to life, you know, and then they'll re- they'll just tell you endless stories about themselves and what it was like back in the day. And so just there's something about Bourdain style. He represents a kind of person that I generally don't like that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. They think like Lou Reed has the answer to life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that, that I think was key, in some ways key to him. Like, you know, he didn't, he just didn't, um, he wasn't the kind of person that I expected that I would like. And so I don't think I was in any way feeling like, yeah, yeah, that's my type of guy or whatever. He's totally not my type of guy. Uh, and so I think from there, I think it, it was just really interesting thinking about what made him uh, so unique. Um, I don't. I don't think it can quite be described. But yeah, you're right. I think it has a lot to do with the way he. Ca- I would say this: the way he carried himself around non-white people was uh, something that you know you rarely see. Uh, just the. Uh, I don't know how to put it. 
like he remained that guy that I don't like in the face of <laughs> other people. Do you know what I mean? Like he just he didn't try yeah. to change himself. Like he just was that guy. Like on paper, uh, you shouldn't have liked him. Exactly. But he stuck to his guns. Like that is who he is, and he represented himself uh and his his personality and his style um in front of foreign people and non white people that have no idea what that is. Uh and it just gave you a sense like, you know, hey, maybe Americans do have something in them. Maybe there is like, you know, a special quality to Americans that he's making me start to appreciate a little bit more too, you know? Yeah. You know, you know, one thing that I, as you're, as you were saying all of that, one thing that I noticed is that it, it, and it's very true what you say that he never changed who he was to please anybody else. But at the same time, we didn't really know who he was. He was so busy telling other people's stories or like immersing himself in other people's cultures, but he wasn't ever really talking about his own life, right? There was yeah, one I, I episode. Remember an ep- there was one oh, episode. Yeah, I think maybe we're talking about the same one, Oxford. Was it the one where he goes back to Jersey, the Jersey Shore, and hangs out with his brother? Did you see that uh, one? I've seen that one, but that wasn't the one I was talking about. But go oh, ahead. okay. Yeah, no, no. That like that was an interesting one where he just kind of talked about growing up with his brother and and how he how how he got into how he how he got into what he got into, you know. Now, I was going to bring up an episode, I forget where he goes to, but he talks about just, like, how much he loads himself. And I think it was in the context of how much of a success he's become. Because, you know, he kind of made a name for himself by attacking, you know, the Paula Deans and the, um, what's her name? Like, Alice Waters? And, then like, Emeril Lagasse, like, Guy Fieri, all the all the big marquee names, you know, for better or for worse, like Guy Fieri. And and now he became he's become a global brand, and he was talking about oh you know I hate myself and everything. At the time, you kind of think it's just him trying to it's his version of of being modest. But now, when you look like I probably couldn't watch that episode uh, at least for a little while because it's gonna just be like oh shit he was actually telling the truth. Oh, was um, that recently that he said? I that? don't know. I forget. I forget which one it was. Um, yeah, okay. that's sad, man. A dark side, right, to him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, he was, like, a heroin addict for a long time. Like, uh, actually, which brings me to my question. Have you guys read Kitchen Confidential? I, I did. You know, I read it. I read it, and I don't remember it very much anymore, except for the fact that I thought he was a very precocious kid. And then I, I actually didn't like... I didn't like him in the book, but I thought he was a very good writer. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, he writes about eating on... Like, he, he has that part where he goes to Normandy, I think, with his family, and... They, he eats an oyster for the first time when he's a little kid. Uh, you know, and like little kids, like even I didn't really like oysters until recently. But he was like, I'm going to show everyone that, you know, I'm not afraid of this. And he eats it and, and he, he kind of uses that as a moment when he realized like food could be really exciting. Yeah, so he, in some ways, he was a, an unusual kid. But I just bring the, up that book because there are long parts of it where he's just talking about his drug use. And he was, you know, pretty much like owed everybody money. Like some people like... Maybe like mobsters wanted him dead because he had debts and everything. So yeah, like that that dark side which got sanitized by, you know, just him being a celebrity is just we kind of forgot that existed. He he was a pretty subversive dude. Uh, Casey, you had mentioned like something about like you know him in Russia and Boris Nemtsov and all this stuff, and uh, uh, there you know he said some things in that in that episode that was pretty subversive and uh, he was expressing sort of like a spiritual uh, camaraderie with the Bolsheviks. And he is, he had that punk rocker sort of anti-establishment bent in him. And I, and I, and that seemed real and, and kitchen confidential 
and you know a lot of the other writings that he did he really identified with the sort of anarchic existence of the cook and you know part-time drug dealer part-time cook and i wonder if that was part of like the bourdain like what made bourdain bourdain was this somewhat subversive rather un-american inside new york you would call it quite american but like this rather anti-establishment streak in him that you don't find in some of the others like if i look at someone like mario batali you know he's someone who just his job is to venerate italian culture and and just make it seem like you know italians are directly descended from god (laughs) right like it's they're very pro-establishment people right it's just maybe the establishment that they're concerned about is not one that we know much about but bourdain when he went around it seemed like he was looking for those same elements in the countries that he went he went to you know he liked talking to people like poor people and vendors and workers and stuff like that he wasn't big on uh he wasn't big on venerating the local culture which is another thing that i really liked was he didn't go and sort of embalm and and uh in 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 praising it end up condescending a little bit by uh you know orientalizing or you know exotifying something it seemed like he was looking for just you know regular people like just regular working people that he could relate to and i thought you don't see that often you know i see a little bit in roy choi i think of all the people like of all the sort of food celebrities I would say that Roy Choi probably matches him closest in terms of, you know, that sort of, uh, you know what I'm talking about? That sort of like, Roy Choi is all about like worker solidarity and all that, right? Yeah. Speaking of Roy Choi, I think another reason why Asian Americans love Bourdain so much, he did a lot to promote Asian chefs. I know, uh, you know, David Chang appeared on his show a lot. Um, There's this episode where he takes him to Momofuku Sambar and they have this like, this outrageous feast. Um, they, what, what's his, yeah, like Roy Choi appeared in it. Um, and I, I saw on Instagram, I saw like all the tributes from guys like Eddie Huang and, and Duki Hong. He does the Kangodong Pekjong in the, the barbecue place in New York City. And yeah, he, he did a lot to, to put those people in the spotlight. And, and that's one thing I really appreciated about him. He knew that he was, he was like a mediocre chef and he always admitted it. And whenever he had, a guest on, you know, like like Eric Repair, they're a good friend, so he, he appeared in the, with him on a lot of episodes. Yeah, he would always be like the Robin to their Batman. He wouldn't try to upstage them or anything, and he he knew what he was good at and what he wasn't. And and that again, that's I think a sh- sign of his self awareness and just genuineness as a person. Yeah, he's very much a storyteller more than a, a chef. Yeah, there's no there's no like there there's no like Anthony Bourdain signature dish, right? that's true (laughs) that guy jason wang uh you know this have you you've been you go there a lot right the she oh yeah sean Sean famous was basically my kitchen i eat there so much (laughs) yeah yeah no that guy like he he was like he was like really broken up about it um and he liked i think he donated all the proceeds from that hit like on that day he donated like all of their revenue to you know suicide prevention and stuff. That's how much this guy loved Bourdain. Was like, Bourdain basically broke. Xi'an Famous Foods, like the original, is like it's literally like in the in the oldest crappiest mall in Flushing, in the back. It's like the most humble, like you know, origin you can imagine. And then this guy's like, yeah, no, I told like Anthony Bourdain basically is the reason why we became like this chain in 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 New York. Yeah, yeah. He he talked about how. 
prior to Bourdain visiting, I think their whole family lived in a one bedroom, right? Oh, really? Yeah. And I mean, it ties to like what we're, what we're, you know, other conversations that we're having now about how, you know, the whole model minority thing and how, how the whole model minority myth and how people don't understand and realize that there are low income, um, Asian people, Asian people living under the poverty line. So he's one example. And he said that, you know, had, had Bourdain not gone and visited or, and not, um, kind of thrust them out there, they, they wouldn't have made it this far. So I think, I think Anthony Bourdain really touched uh, and helped a lot of lives that way. Another thing I, I, I realized about him is that he, when I was thinking, you know, he's not very, you would look, you listen, you watch his shows and you don't think like, oh, this is a very, this is not a very political guy. Like he, he just likes to drink and eat and smoke, right? <laughs> Cause that, it seems like that's what he's doing. Wait, I thought he was very political on his shows. Right, exactly. But he never, it wasn't so much that he was talking politics, but he was going into <coughs> all these different places and showing the human side of each area of each community right 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 he was more political towards america but yeah when he went abroad he tried not to be like judgmental no but i i i, I kind of know what you're saying though i mean i think i i i think we're all agreeing he's political right but i guess the way i i am interpreting what you're saying cuz i kind of noticed this too is like i think he was the type of person that was political out of necessity in that uh, and this may have this may have been part of like his experiences early on, but he, I think he just was the t- type of person, and I can relate to this. Like, there's just an excessive amount of bullshit in the world, right? And to try and cut through that bullshit, which is I think what he tried to do on the show and in his writing and stuff, I think that's inherently political now. You know, like like rejecting all the bullshit is itself political. He did. He he more. He wasn't talking politics, but what he was doing was very very political. And I think, like, if we look back, I think he's one of the very first people who who kind of did this. Like, I want to say, like, before humans, you guys, you know, humans of New York. You have to know <laughs> you're you're in New York. Yeah, of so, course. You know, humans yeah. of New York. Yeah. And then over here where we are, we have Chinatown Pretty. So we have. Um, Oh, I've seen that one too. It's great. Yeah, two girls going into, or two women actually going into Chinatown and taking photos. A lot of like elderly, elderly fashion and stuff, and they're like they're 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 super dapper, uh, and they got a lot of cool like vintage stuff on. And and I feel like they're kind of doing what Anthony Bourdain did, right? They're not exactly yeah. being political, but they're saying, you know, in the face of gentrification and displacement, they're saying, hey, these are real people living here, right? And that's kind of what Bourdain did. Yeah, and I think his that style of traveling he had he had a major influence um, on Americans. I think especially among younger Americans who kind of grew up with his show, like like people my age. It's basically it's become a cliche uh, for me to talk to someone and they'll say something like, oh, "I wish I I want Anthony Bourdain's job." I like heard that so many times to the point where it's like, okay, like I've heard that a million times before. This idea of of wanderlust, which has become very cringy just because it's being used so much. But the idea of of traveling to kind of like off the beaten path, eating more modest local food as opposed to, you know, going to the the Four Seasons in in Paris or whatever and and dining at at the the three-star Michelin places. I think that he has popularized that so much that now that has become kind of like the snobby way, whereas, uh, whereas now uh, people look people who do that look down on the people who go to the like 
resorts and and you know kind of nicer hotels and i think that's that's the power of of his influence yeah i agree with that so are you guys like that like when you go into a place um or you're traveling do are you very can you be are are you very open minded in trying new cuisines oh yeah for sure uh mainly because i don't like to spend too much money when i travel so I, that's one uh one motivation i have but yeah i also it was more fun to just uh you know just wander around and do that as opposed to being pampered or being shown around too much what about you teen i think i try but it's actually pretty hard um the the one thing that bourdain uh has on his side is that you know people are really down to meet him because you know he he's bringing he's bringing a camera crew and he's got he's bringing a reputation too i think actually a lot of the things that he experienced are it's actually kind of hard to penetrate i think it's easy to get pampered all you need is money. Oh yeah, uh, that that yeah, that's why it's become kind of more snobby. If you have the the know-how to go into that that little valley in the mountain and and get the the momos or whatever that the, the they're going to make for you. Yeah, like most people probably couldn't do that either because they don't know the language or they just don't have the time or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, or have a that. bunch of like local like local people, like local men just take you out at night and drink and just let you be part of their circle. Uh, yeah. it's not that easy. Uh, if I was to go somewhere foreign, like it's not actually that easy to break into, uh, you know, the conversation mid stance of people who are minding their own business, having fun. The last thing they want to do necessarily is like, you know, entertain some foreign guest and have cultural exchange with you. So I think there was, there was a level. Here's the thing. I think Anthony Bourdain to me really very much like he had a certain, he had a, an inordinate amount of American white privilege. Right. Like that's that's just that's very much the case. But the, the the thing that about Bourdain, I think that is an important lesson, I think, especially like in places like Twitter, where uh, it gets like really racially charged and stuff. Just like the number you said, like a lot of different people, like people, non-white people love Bourdain. Like I was seeing like uh, this black tweeters, uh, Arab tweeters, all of them said were saying, I think one guy called him um, a John Brown white. <laughs> Right, and then, um, <laughs> yeah. Another person said, "Like, oh, we got to put this guy in the white guy hall of fame." <laughs> the white guy, yeah, exactly. And um, and I think I'm Arab guy was saying, like, "Hey, just remind you know, just want everyone to know that Bourdain was like one of the few um, American white television celebrities that made it a point to to humanize Arab life." Uh, so I think it's a good lesson, just because I would, you know, I would say Bourdain, he's a white celebrity, and he had an inordinate amount of 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 access and money and everything that has come to sort of symbolize white privilege and yet people non-white people still loved him and so i think you can glean from that that i, I don't think underlying a lot of the stuff that you see online is actually anti-whiteness i don't think anyone like disliked bourdain because he was white you know i think it was the way he kind of acknowledged and used it i don't think that the default setting is like you know an anti-white position. Uh, and I think Bourdain can kind of help tease out what it is that has got people so disenchanted with whiteness because nobody felt that way about this guy. <laughs> yeah, what he did really well was, I think because there, especially for younger people, there was this pervasive philosophy of being open-minded, embracing everything, being diverse, but that easily went over the line into which 
Oh, you know, that, I think that's what a lot of the anger over cultural appropriation comes from. There's like they like like it so much that they're they're gonna take it from you, put themselves at the center, and and I think what as, and then resell as we it said before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as we said before, like what Bourdain knew and and I, I think was very good at was how, how to toe that line between being curious and being a respectful guest and knowing when to kind of uh, put himself into the background and just appreciate things and, and do his best to shed light because you know you know if he has the power to uh promote you and everybody wants that but uh do so at a at a in a way that puts those people in the spotlight and less himself casey did you go to hong kong like when you were young uh is that how you got to know hong kong or yeah i i my parents brought me when i was young um a couple uh-huh. times okay I I used to go. My parents used to take me to Taiwan when I was a kid. I I used to go like uh, more or less every summer, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because uh, I guess my attitude coming back from Taiwan was like people rarely talk about this side of it, but like I just felt America was extremely boring, uh, and and sort of bland. You know, I lived in the burbs uh, outside DC, and if you compare that to like the street life that my cousins were experiencing on a daily basis in Taipei and the amount of like autonomy that they were granted in, in a super like hyper urban kind of setting compared to like a latchkey suburban kid. It's like no comparison. And I guess for me, like it's, it was, it's kind of weird because these days a lot of people talk about like Asian Americans talk about like, um, you know, sort of like the secret shame and a secret, you know, desire to be more American and, and how they kind of want to suppress that Asian side of them. And I, I don't relate to any of that. And I, and I suspect a lot of Asians don't like, I understand, uh, I, I, I guess I related to Bourdain's point of view just because he was so clear headed about how American culture is totally lacking. That was, I think, one of the central critiques that he just was, you know, just incredibly consistent. Just saying, like, the ma- you know, the mainstream commercial culture, especially the food culture, but everything else that goes along with it is totally unredeemable. Like, he just refused to find he, – he refused to sort of find, you know, uh, tie a ribbon around it. He was just re- unrepentant, and I was like, yes, that's how I felt. <laughs> you know, and I I just felt like he was so much more free to, to – uh, to express that. I, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, did you feel when you were little though, that I don't know if you, you felt self-conscious coming back, um, expressing your identity or, you know, did you share what you, what you experienced in Taiwan with your friends here? I did. I, I had a lot of friends that would go back to Israel. Uh, there were a lot of, I grew up with a lot of Jews and, I felt like when I came back, I felt like we had a somewhat similar experience. My Jewish friends that came back from Israel from the summer versus like me coming back from Taiwan. There were fewer of us and more of them. But, you know, I did get the sense in talking to my friends that they had a kind of a similar feel having spent a lot of time in a place like, you know, Tel Aviv or something. Let me ask you guys if you have any particularly special episodes you liked. I'll just go first to, in case you guys haven't thought of any. But there's one he went to Iran, which I really liked. This was Parts Unknown. This was after No Reservation. But that episode I just really liked because I just had no idea what Iran was like before watching that show. Because, I mean, here all you hear about Iran is like, oh, they, they're trying to build nukes or the Iranian Revolution. It, it's all that that bad shit. And, and he went there and he's just like... It's beautiful, and they're they're you know eating 
you know, great he, food. Th- and is, is that the one? I think I saw. I might have saw parts of that. Is that? Does he sort of openly mock the idea that this is like an incredibly scary place? Full of incredibly yeah, scary people. I, I think like, so. I, I don't remember everything. I mean, there was something like he he meets up with a Washington Post reporter, this guy named Jason Rezaian. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And actually, that guy ended up getting imprisoned. Um, I think he was freed in a year, a, few, a year or two ago, or just recently even. But yeah, so there he did talk about some of the dark side as well. But he did show the country uh, as it really is i think for uh for the average person there and so much so i, I have a friend he's persian and i and he like goes back somewhat regularly and it's like yo next time you go you gotta take me <laughs> but i mean uh-huh. now it's probably difficult but yeah it it put up that country as, as one of the ones i really want to visit just from watching that episode i know what casey's answer is <laughs> <laughs> probably the the first and very sadly the last have you guys watched his very last episode of parts unknown it's in hong kong right yeah it's hong kong and uh, oh really oh shit okay yeah so he's been there you know for on his shows he's he's shown hong kong several times now on new reservations and then layover and i i'm not sure if this is the first time that it was on parts unknown but um you know for me because of all the change in chinatown and uh, a lot of you know, and also the change back in Hong Kong, you guys are, you guys know about what's, you know, the whole like umbrella movement and, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of like the identity crisis of Hong Kong, that's really gotten to me. And so this last episode of Parts Unknown, he really touches on that kind of all the changing features of Hong Kong. And he, you know, he's, a, he's, he's very good at expressing or putting mm. that into words. So, you know, he, I remember he, he said like, in the very beginning, he said, you know, all of this is disappearing. All, all of this could be gone, right? And so it, it was just, it kind of, that kind of hit home for me. And especially yeah. this being his last episode. You, you, I get the sense that he has the right kinds of friends in places that are explaining this to him, right? Like, he's, he just seems like the type of guy that has friends um, in, in each of the places that he goes, like a place like Hong Kong that, that, that can relate kind of the moment to him or something like it's not he's not just getting briefs from like cnn right about hong kong he knows people there you know either that or he he just reads a lot but how in the world would you be able to find you know knowledgeable people like that in every single place that you go to uh the perks of being anthony bourdain i guess (laughs) (laughs) teen do you have a favorite episode uh yeah well i think the the one that i that is most it, it's not an episode is it but it's the one where basically he he meets obama in hanoi and um it, it was it was i mean if you really stop to think about that like the two of them rolling up to like some vietnamese joint in like just total dive joint sitting on plastic stools in hanoi and he's there with the president of the united states and the president is relating to him at a level of like, yeah, you know, this kind of reminds me of when I grew up in Jakarta. And they're Bourdain's like, yeah, this is Hanoi's one of my favorite cities. And they're talking about um, how Bourdain finds it uh, rather devastating how welcome, you know, American GIs are in Vietnam, you know, ones that had served in the, in the war. And you're just kind of scoping out that conversation and uh, you'd never quite wrap your mind around the fact that that happened. Uh, 
So yeah, I thought that was a really. Could you imagine point. Trump doing that? No. He'd be like, "Ew, really what can't. is this? I want. Where's my charred steak with ketchup?" <laughs> did you nah, hear? You would never do that. Did you hear why? No, they, did you hear Bourdain's reason for why he wouldn't eat with Trump? No, no he fucking hates Trump. Trump. No, <laughs> he said there were two reasons. One is that he only talks about himself, and <laughs> <laughs> the second is he likes his steak re- well done. <laughs> Yeah. You know they oh, yeah. that table they sat at uh they encased it in this glass box. So it's like a, almost like a museum exhibit now there. Yeah, yeah. so sad. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to go see that if I'm ever passed by, yeah. There's this other episode. This was like in the first season of No Reservations, which it was really funny. It's one of the rare episodes where he goes somewhere and just like hates the place. And oh, I think yeah. it was it was Iceland. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it was one of the Nordic countries. I think it was Iceland. But he's there. Uh-huh. It's like cold. The only thing he, they have is this like kind of thin soup. Uh-huh. And I think he said something like, "Yeah, it's a nice place. It's clean. Everyone lives long." But he's like, "What's the point?" <laughs> right. Right. That you know that's funny because I I think that part I might like him more for what he hates than what he loves. No, exactly. That's why you know he hates Midnight in Paris. That's like yeah, like I yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's why I like him. <laughs> right. But he, right, he had right. a knack for hating the right things. He doesn't... Yeah. He, like, the, the targets he picks are generally people who are, you know, like, someone like Paula Dean. Like, you know, she can take a punch, you know. Or um, he, like, hates, you know, like, vegetarians, <laughs> which are, you know, the... It, it, like, it, yeah, it's like no one's going to get mortally offended. He said he, um, said, uh, he said he had, like, a burger at night at a Johnny Rockets in an airport, and it triggered a three-day-long depression in uh, depressing <laughs> which is he loves he loves in and out though did you watch that episode when he went to korea and he went to that he was dragged into like a norebang so he enjoyed singing i don't know he enjoyed drinking and smoking but they he they could not get him to sing and i think um in episodes <laughs> after that he was just like i hate singing and i kind of like that about him because you know i have certain images or you know of kind of white people on <laughs> karaoke bars in the songs that they sing <laughs> <laughs> other things he hates he hates truffle oil he hates um brunch he hates um what else does he hate uh do you guys off the top of your head can you think of anything else he hates hollandaise sauce oh he hates that really yeah and that's like i always get benedict but apparently it it has a lot of well, i guess it makes sense if he hates brunch so much it, it, would, it would make sense that he would hate hollandaise sauce as well i think he hates like avocado toast uh, I think he said that, or he doesn't understand what the hell that is. Um, he he just had a very like he didn't want to debate. Uh, like you know how like people now like debate avocado toast, like it's worthy of debate. <laughs> and there's a sort of, there's a sort of like meta this sort of like meta thing going on with it. I think he was just like why like I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. What what is the point <laughs> of all this crap? Which is I totally feel that as well. There's an episode where he goes to China. Uh, well, he goes to China many times, but uh, he says something that I th- I think was very wise. He says something like, "I love China, but I'll I'll never understand it, and I'm not going to try to just because it's 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 an entirely different world that it, it would take a lifetime to to understand. I can't do it in just one episode." And I think that reflects why people appreciated him so much. Like he knew his limitations. He didn't try to go there and be I know everything because uh, I'm I'm like white. And I'm a man, and and I'm here to you know teach you heathens the ways of my fine French cooking or something like that. He just went. You, there you actually I... gotta know a lot about culture to realize that you can't know it all. Like, yeah, 
I, it kind of takes like I'm Chinese, and it kind of I it kind of takes being Chinese to know that you really don't know shit about being Chinese. <laughs> 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 so he must know a lot about being Chinese. <laughs> like for me, like growing up, there was always this idea that like Western cuisines were like like the the ones you you go out to eat and, and when you celebrate and you know like korean food is what you eat at home maybe you eat like chinese food but you know as you get older you start realizing you know what like you you go to a few french restaurants and it's good but you're like you know what i kind of prefer like kimchi jjigae or something like that i grew up near i grew up next to this kid named like when i was young i grew up next to this kid named halik he was like from uh i think he was persian and we were like kind of you know, casual friends, like, I, I didn't hang out with them that much, but he was, like, the neighborhood kid who was, like, three doors down from me, so, you know, we ride our bikes together, and his father would always come out, I never went inside his house, not once, and his father used to come out and offer me yogurt, uh, and I was like, yeah, man, I don't want to eat yogurt, I don't like yogurt, and he was <laughs> like, no, come on, it's, I, I make the yogurt, it's really nice, you should come in and try, and I always told the guy, hell no, because I just, <laughs> I, I didn't understand why I would go inside and eat Dan and yogurt or whatever, but now I realize it was some kind of family concoction, and he was trying to sort of like welcome me into his house. And I just I feel now like well I mean I was like you know in nine years old or something. But now that I think about it, I was like no man I should have I should have taken the yogurt. He was offering you, know you I mean? homemade yogurt. Yeah, it, it was oh, like your homemade him up dessert. On that. That's probably better than any. I was you know, nine. <laughs> I didn't know. You know, I didn't realize that his yeah no that to to Kate what Casey's saying it was very much an offer to go in and you know meet my friend's family and sort of become like neighborhood, you know, just sort of like in, in enhance those neighborhood bonds. Uh, and I'm like, Oh fuck. Why didn't I take them on it? Maybe it's because I saw those commercials about how you're not supposed to go into other people's houses and you can't trust, you can't trust strange men. You know? <laughs> I'm not going in there, man. Yeah, exactly. So now nah, I feel bad about it now. Yeah. I remember a couple of instances in which, um, I think this was in in one of his a uh, food porn episodes in No Reservations. He he goes to eat pho in in Vietnam, and and at the end he he says like yeah you can go to like a fancy restaurant in Europe, but you will never like any single item on that menu you will never find anything better than this bowl of pho. And he also says the same thing about uh, Shaolong Bao. He goes to Shanghai to eat eat soup dumplings, and he says like I dare you to find anything that's better than this one thing. Uh, and so, yeah, that's like the kind of stuff he said, um, which I think it, it plays a, a role in just kind of reordering the, the food hierarchy, the, like kind of like cultural hierarchy that yes. foods occupy. Yeah. And also like just spice up Americans because it's not to me, it's not just that like, oh, I want more recognition for like Chinese street food and Chinese street food should be more respected. It's also like like I just want Americans to just be a little bit less boring. I think that, you know what I mean? I think that's something that really bothered him about, you know, American culture was just how boring it is. And so I'm like, yeah, let's get some spicy whites in here. You know, let's spice everything <laughs> up a little bit. Uh, God, we can't just keep going to Italian restaurants, you know? So if he is, in, uh, hopefully he's in the afterlife, what do you think he'd be, what, what do you think would be his reward? Probably like all the pork he can eat with no consequences no obesity no like high blood pressure <laughs> he can just eat that all he wants um like like pho just inject like an iv of pho it just goes directly <laughs> into his veins um people like i guess mario patali burning in a fire in front of him 
I'm not Mario Batali. Uh, um, Guy Fieri. <laughs> hey, the, the, the other BJJ Jim. The other I think he was guy. big on BJJ, right? Yeah, his uh, his ex-wife, the the martial artist. Yeah. Uh, got him into BJJ. He'd be like a gold yeah. medalist. A- any closing thoughts? You know, just in, in just in reflecting the past couple of days, I re- I think. For a while, I just thought, like, you know, he's Anthony Bourdain, he travels the world, and he did a lot for us, and I was grateful for it, but then I always, I just thought that he was there, and I kind of took his his work for granted after a while, and um, now that he's gone, I, I look back and I realize, you know, there was nobody before him who, who really did what he did, right, introduced different cultures to the world and and made it okay to, you know, each each culture to feel like he humanized each culture and made them feel like it was okay to be them. And even during his entire career, right. Um, I don't think anyone else has done it, has been able to accomplish what he's done. And it's, it's really irreplaceable what he's done for us. Yeah. I mean, if there's, I don't want to be morbid or anything, but I, I, at least he goes out beloved, right. He does, he didn't become this like cranky old, like, Trump supporter, <laughs> you know, he grows up being old or something. He, you know, people will re- remember him very fondly. I mean, I mean, hopefully, like nothing bad comes out. Uh, but I think, yeah, people will, you know, he has his shows, he has his books, and you know, people can just appreciate him, which is nice. Yeah, but I think, I think he, I think he had a great memoir in him that we'll never read. Uh, you know what I mean? That that I do definitely mourn. Um, I think there are a couple, there are a handful of people that offer, not at the scale and visibility and style, but, you know, there's someone like, um, I think there's there's a hint of that in someone like Jonathan Gold, the the food critic at the LA Times. There's a hint, there's a hint of that in, in David Chang. And uh, I thought Ugly Delicious was a great series that had a lot, you know, it was very promising in its own right. They all very different style um, for Bourdain. But I think, you know, I think, Bourdain, there is a, there does seem to be some tradition there, something, some whatever factor he had. I think that you can find some of it in other people, but in different styles. And I think people really respond to it. People really respond to, to Gold. People re- really respond to Chang, um, and and Roy Choi as well. Um, so I think that's I think there are people like carrying that on. I don't think it's a. I don't think, but. Um, you know, I hope it spills out into the culture more. You know, like I don't want to overvenerate Bourdain in the sense, like you know, I don't want people to imitate him because if you imitate him, then you defeat the whole purpose of you know being an original, right? So, um, but uh, you know, in some way, I hope that kind of propel that propagates through American culture a little bit more than it than it has. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it there. So I think we. Just want to say, you know, rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. Hopefully, you're you're in a better place, and whatever, yeah, rest in peace. Whatever caused you to do uh, that, hopefully, you're it's been you're in peace now. <laughs> Love